You know, it's funny, um, as I began, Keith, can you take me down a little bit? <laughs> I don't ever need that much microphone. <laughs> you know, as I was uh, pulling this together, I had to stop listening to pastors teaching training day because I think I'm down part of that road. And so in order not to just kind of say again what pastor was saying and really hear what God was trying to tell me on this one, I said, okay, let me hold off on finishing training day because I think it's kind of along the same lines uh, as as what pastor has been talking about lately. So I so you guys who know about Training Day, kind of bear with me on this one. The title that I came up with is The Fight is Fixed, But. Now, when you use the contraction, but, it says that you're negating everything before it. And I don't want to do that. But the fight is fixed. And when a fight or a contest is fixed, that means that the winter, the winner of it is it's a foregone conclusion. You know who's going to win. Before anything even takes place, you know who's going to win. I've been in a situation where something's been fixed for me, where I've not been number one, and I knew that I wasn't number one. But then on the, on the other hand, I knew that I was number one for a job. And as long as I didn't do anything crazy or stupid, the job was mine. And it gives you a different feeling when you know that you're going in as number one. You kind of go in pretty confident and pretty cocky, you know, and everything. But the thing that I learned from not being number one is that no matter what your position is, you still need to give it your best shot. You still need to fight it out, you know, because there could be a dark horse out there somewhere that comes in and blows you out of the water. So you really do need to give it your best shot. You know, how many times have we watched a, a football game or a basketball game or, or a fight that's been said to be the fight of the century? between these two great contenders or these two great teams and all to find out that the knockout happens in the first round or, or the game is a complete blowout. And everybody goes, that was fixed. Did you see that? And by, by all rights, it could have been fixed. We just don't know. We as believers can't complain about the fight being fixed. We really can't. We can't complain about anything being fixed because we are in the most important game and it's fixed on our side. <laughs> so, you know, when the, when, when the fight of the century is over in round one, you just can go, eh, okay, I understand that situation because our fight is fixed and it's not a secret. At least if you've read the end of the book, it's not a secret because God, you know, and God is a God of not having secrets. That's what I think is the most wonderful thing about God. This awesome, omnipotent, omnipresent, great God will tell you whatever it is you want to know. And he's told you some great things in his word. So it's not a secret that the fight is fixed on the side of his children. Read the book. Read the end of the book. He tells you exactly what's going to happen. But even though the fight is fixed or the game is fixed, you still have to play or fight. You still have to. I think that's the hardest thing for maybe us as believers to get across because we go, well, if we've already won, why do we still have to fight? Right? This all should be taken care of. Well, if we didn't have to fight, God wouldn't say in 1 Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He wouldn't say that. If, he didn't, if we didn't have to do any fighting, he wouldn't say, fight the good fight of faith. Or put on the whole armor. 
Because if you don't need, you don't, if you're not fighting, you don't need any armor, right? So there's, a, there's something we, that we have, we have to fight. And we as believers need to understand that. But on the back side of that, you need to understand that you win. Even though you fight, you win. And that should give you a different outlook and a different fighting style, if you would. Like I said, when I knew that I was somebody's number one on a job interview, the job was mine unless I did something crazy, I went in with a whole different attitude. It was like everybody had to beat me. They had to beat me. And I was like, okay, y'all do your best because I'm going to do my best. And with my best, plus knowing I'm number one, you're not going to beat me. All right? And we should have that same attitude. You know, we're coming up on the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is coming up. And, you know, we've got the Seattle Seahawks. And we got the New England Patriots. And I hate to tell you this, but I'm rooting for the Patriots. Go on, get it out your system, do whatever you need to do. I'm rooting for the Patriots, okay? Here we go. Both teams. <laughs> That's right, Daryl. Both teams are practicing. They're preparing their bodies. And in order to prepare their minds, they're developing playbooks, they're studying their opponents to see where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, what they do well. And, you know, I'm sure the Seattle Seahawks are going to be checking the footballs on the New England Patriots. I just think there's a new job in the NFL, and it's called Ball Inflator, and I want it. If y'all can get me the job for the Ball Inflator or the Ball Tester, on either side, that's going to be a job in the NFL. You mark my words, okay? When, they, when you see the new position, go Ethel. You heard it from Ethel first, amen? Amen. But they are studying. They're getting their bodies and their minds ready for this contest. Now, in the old days in the, in the Super Bowl, they used to play everywhere. You know, they played in Buffalo where it's cold. Stadium wasn't closed in. If it snowed, more power to you. If it didn't, more power to you. If it rained, more power to you. Now they've taken the element or they've tried to take the element of the weather out of it. So to a certain extent, there's some fixing going on. All right? There's some fixing going on in that game as well. So we're going to take a look at us as fighters in this fight that we have going on. And like I said, I think some of this ties in with what Pastor talking about because there's a preparation that has to happen. You know, he's telling us that we need to be prepared. I think part of our problem sometimes as believers is we're not prepared. We're kind of caught off guard when something happens and we get that deer in the headlights look, you know, like when the deer sees the car coming at it, you know, eyes get real big and everything. And I think we do that too, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't do that. So we're going to take a look at some of the preparation that we need to do. We need some preparation for our body, you know. And so I said to myself, I said, well, okay, the body. What about the body? And it said, you know, in Genesis 2-5, you know, it tells us in 2-5, at the time God made earth and heaven before any grasses or shrubs had sprouted from the ground, God hadn't yet sent rain on earth, nor was there anyone around to work the ground. God created the body for a very distinctive purpose. And it says here, to begin with, and there was no man to till the ground. So we find out that God created man to be placed in this wonderful garden to till and to tend the ground. The purpose was to tend the garden which God created for man. And that is... um, Genesis 2.15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. So man was always expected to work or to do something. 
Nowhere do we find that God said, okay, Adam, just kind of lay around on a fluffy cloud and watch it grow. He had work to do. He had so much work to do that God even created a helpmeet for him. If you read that section, it tells you that word meat is like a puzzle piece that fits together. But they, because that meant that whatever strengths Adam had fit with Eve's weaknesses and vice versa. So they met together as puzzle pieces. So the purpose was to tend the garden which God created. The body was also created to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your body was also created to glorify God. So that means, so if you see, it says in the scriptures that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So you might hate your toes. You know, some people go, oh, I have such ugly toes. But your toes are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that, therefore, glorify God in your body. And it didn't say except your ugly toes. We're supposed to glorify God in our bodies. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 to be the temple of the Spirit. So our bodies are created by God to tend, to work, to do something except lay around all day and do nothing, which on occasion I have done, but, you know. But any of you, if you've done that too long, don't you all of a sudden start to feel bad? I know I do. You know, I start to feel bad. I got to get up and move something. And I think the reason for that is because of the way we were made or why we were made. We were made to tend and to, um, to work the garden. And, yeah, we don't have the garden, but I don't think our purpose or the why we were created has changed any. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. So that's why the body is created. How did God make it? How did God make it? God is a spirit. So what did he do? What did he do? It says it's taken from the dust as a potter takes and forms clay. I picked this up from the Message Bible in Isaiah 64, 8. Still, God, you are our father. We're the clay and you're our potter. All of us are what you made us. God has made us, and he says, and he formed us, and he blew his breath into the nostrils of this image that he formed out of the dust, and it became a living being, and he called him Adam. And it's made in his own image. He said, let us make man He said, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. That's out of the message uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. I love the message Bible, you get, as you can tell. And I got good at being able to paste it in, too. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> but he created human beings in his own image with the nature of God. And he created them male and female. Now, how do we prepare this body? 
We need to prepare this body for a fight. You know, these guys are preparing their bodies for Sunday. You know, they're probably working out, doing drills. They're running, lifting weights, eating the right things. Because could you imagine a contest where one team all they ate was Twinkies? Or crimpets in my case, because I love butterscotch crimpets. Just imagine, they spent the week eating just nothing but a bunch of crimpets. Drinking milk, eating crimpets. And watching TV. You know what's going to happen on the first hit. Something going, something bad going to come up. You know? Because they have to prepare the body for this contest. And so do we. First Corinthians Uh, 927 tells us that we need to keep our body under control. But I I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So we need to keep our bodies under control and not let them get out of control. Plus, you know, when people see you, They see God. You proclaim that you're a child of the king. So they looking at you and they go, oh, look, there's God. That's what God looks like. All right. So, yeah, so we need to keep it under control and not let our flesh or our bodies control us. So that when we fight and it gets back to to a certain extent to our emotions as well. You know, not to be led by our emotions. You know, Pastor said this on Sunday about not being led by your emotions. You don't want to be led by your emotions. You don't want to be led by your flesh because it, 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 it will cause you not to fight a good fight. If your body is calling for all kinds of chocolate candy and soda and just all kinds, you're not going to be able to fight a good fight. You need to be hydrated. You need to be hydrated with good stuff. Water, Gatorade, whatever it is. You need to be hydrated. You need to stay hydrated. Okay? So if you don't do that, then you're going to fail. We need to nourish our bodies properly. Like I said, they're probably eating all kinds of good food and things like that. And I know a lot of people don't like vegetables, but vegetables are good for you. Say what you want to say. They're good for you. I'm not looking over here, but vegetables are good for you. You may not like all of them, but you need to get some of them in there. You know, <laughs> I started putting spinach in the smoothies. It turns it green. I hate the color, but boy, do they taste good, and I get spinach, okay? Spinach has got iron in it, you know? So you need to get these things inside of you. Because they will give you plenty of energy and allow you to endure when you have to fight. So we need to get the same kind of food or we need to get spiritual food in us. And in Matthew 6.11, you know, this is a familiar, a very familiar verse. Give us this day our daily bread. And you say, what? The word is our daily bread. The word is food. If I looked at when I decided to add this, because this really wasn't in there at first, I looked up the word bread. The word bread is used like 629 times in the word. A lot of it's in the Old Testament because, you know, God was real, real specific about bread in the Old Testament. So it's important. And he links bread to the word. So when you say, give us this day our daily bread, and, you know, we we had to kind of get with the disciples, you know, he doesn't mean food. (laughs) He doesn't mean bread, you know, like Strowman's and all them other ones, you know. He's talking about his word. We need to have the word in us daily. We're we're going through and we're reading the word uh, a chapter a day. And, you know, and I was telling my kids this the other day, and Pastor kind of called me out, and he didn't know it. When he said, and don't cram, you know, I'd lose track of where I was, and then I'd sit down on the weekend and just cram it all in, you know. 
And there are a lot of good pros and cons, but the con for that is that you're you're becoming legalistic about it because you're just cramming it in so you can say I've caught up versus sitting back and going, okay, let me read and take in what the word is telling me. What what pictures is it painting for me? So I've been telling my kids, well, wherever you are, just start at the next verse. Don't try to catch up. Don't try to cram. But stay on it because it's important that we get our daily bread. It's important. You know, just like, you know, some of us wouldn't miss a meal. It, we ain't about to miss a meal. You know, it's like, what? Wait, wait. I I didn't have breakfast. Let me have a bigger lunch because I need two now because I'm supposed to have three. Or if you get on some of them, them diets, you see, they tell you to have five small meals all day long. Yay, my kind of diet. You know, but, you know, the meal for me is a little bigger, but we won't talk about that. But we won't miss a meal. So we shouldn't really miss our meal from God in, in, in the form of his word either on a daily basis. Amen? Amen. So we need to nourish it properly. We need to nourish our bodies properly. And that also means that when you take in truth, you need to take in truth. That nourishes your body. Truth does. You know, because when you, when you get to a point where you're taking in lies or untruths, they mess with your head. They will mess with your head, and that will then mess with your body and, and everything. And I read in, I was, I was reading in my dates, and it was talking about if that can happen is that sometimes it will lead people to suicide. I was like, wow, I never thought of that. So we need to be about taking in and nourishing our bodies with truth and making sure that we stay mindful of that. As far as preparing the mind, you know, New England is studying Seattle. Seattle is studying New England. They're looking at film and they even may be looking at games where the other team played somebody else to see if they brought in anything new. But they are, in fact, preparing their minds as well. And we need to do that. First of all, you need to know your opponent. So Seattle is going, okay, let's know our opponent, New England. They've played them maybe once, twice, I forget. That doesn't let you know them, know them, but they need to know them, know them on Sunday. Same thing with New England. You know, we need to get to know them. So we need to know who is our opponent. You know, a lot of people don't believe that Satan exists. You know, or they think he's some horned person or horned thing, tail, red pitchfork. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to glorify him or anything like that, but it says that he was an angel of light. They also, there's some supposition, too, is that he had worship. So that meant he could sing, you know? And me, I love worship, you know? And, that, you know, and that's why people get hung up on some things with music. They think they think that sometimes that's how people get led astray is by music. Because a lot of times, you know, we're listening to the beat and we're not really listening to the words. And the words, then finally the words penetrate and then you can't get them out of your head. So we need to know who is our opponent. Job 1.6 from the message says, and this is the first time that he's been given a name. If you go back through until we get to Job... He's never given a name till here. He's called a lot of different things or the enemy, the this, the that. He has a name here. It says, one day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. I remember reading this and going, he's allowed in heaven. That's what this says. 
That's what this says. But it also says he's the designated accuser. There's your opponent. Know your opponent. First Peter 5, starting in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. As a roaring lion. As a means as a, it, doesn't, it means like. That's all it means is like a roaring lion. And what I like here, it says, seeking whom he may devour. That's a permission. The may there gives you permission or gives anybody permission. So are you giving him permission to devour you? Ephesians 6:12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when you're fighting, know your enemy. Know that your enemy is not necessarily the person's body that is before you, but against whatever spirit, whatever issue is within them. So we need to know our opponent. We need to know our opponent. How does he fight? You know, how does New England call plays? Who calls plays? How does New England run 47 gap? Do they run 47 gap? What does New England do in a short yardage situation? What do they do in long yardage situation? Who's their go-to guy? How do they fight? How does our opponent fight? Three steps are outlined in the word that will lead to transgression is what Genesis 3 says for us genesis 3 says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the lord god had made and he said unto the woman yea hath god said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden you love that you know you've had people come up to you and go did the boss really say that you really think that's going to happen Come on. She's never done that before. He's never said that before. Really? Come on. We know better than that. Leads to transgression. Verse 2 says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, Yea, ye shall not surely die. Again, there's that question. There's that question. So you've got three steps. Doubt God's word. That's number one. If you doubt God's word. Number two, additions to God's word. She said, neither shall ye touch it. That's not what God said. So there's an addition. Satan made them doubt, or the serpent made them doubt God's word. Contradictions of God's word. Then they contradicted God's word. He contradicted God's word. You shall not surely die. There's a contradiction. So those are the three steps that can lead us into transgression against what God has said for us to do. Like he said, he says, fight the good fight of faith. So God says, fight. So somebody comes along and says, you don't have to fight. That's a contradiction to God's word. And we need to let that thing go. Because our opponent is now coming against us. That's not from God. That's from our opponent. And our opponent is fighting. We need to recognize how our opponent fights. There are three areas that are always targeted, either together or separately. And we find those in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But we know that it's the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We know in that, in, in that account of Matthew 4, 1 through 11, that's the account where Jesus goes up and is tempted by the devil. 
and you know the devil says you know he he shows jesus all of this he says see all of this i'll give it to you if you would just bow down and worship me lust of the eye pride of life you know all that you can see it will be yours it's going to be yours you know prideful and jesus says to him no and that's how we know that our opponent is real. Jesus dealt with the devil as a real person. He wasn't talking to us, you know, a, a floating spirit over there. There was a real person standing there. And it was a real person with the authority to give Jesus these things. So, so we know that he's real. That's your opponent. He's going to come at you with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. Your flesh is going to want to do something. And I love this whole thing of, well, I'm already forgiven, so let me just do this. No. No. Paul doesn't say we're to use our liberty that way. We're not supposed to do that. So we've got the lust of the flesh and then the pride of life. The pride of life where we take center stage, where we become our God. We are our king. Or television is our king or whatever. Something else other than, the, uh, other than God himself. So we need to know that that's how it's going to come. It's either going to come all together or it's going to come separately. Okay? Now, how do we fight? It's important to know how do we fight. Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil, the way he fights, however you want to say it, that's what that means. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. If we go back to um, 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Darts are coming. Darts are being shot your way. Know that. Know that. Like I said, I don't, and I too am guilty of this. When stuff happens, I get the deer in the headlights look and go, What? Why? And in Dakes, he says that there are seasons and situations for the mission of Satan. He said in the Old Testament, the mission was to prevent the birth of the Messiah. And since he couldn't do that, he says his mission in the New Testament is to make believers doubt God. That's his mission, is to make you doubt God. So when we get, so this is, God is saying, fiery darts are coming. So why when they come, do we all of a sudden go, oh, what? This isn't supposed to be here. Who said that? Who said it? Tell me where it is in the word that it says that, and I'll stand with you to death. I'll stand in the gap with you. But you've got to tell me where it says it in the word that it's not going to happen. I remember praying one time to God and going, this isn't fair. My friend Gail was sick and um, 
and she was she was diagnosed and we knew that she wasn't going to recover it was just a matter of time and I was on my way to work one day and I went this just isn't fair and the Holy Spirit in a still small voice said I never said it would be find in my word where I said it would be fair And I'm thinking, it's in there somewhere. It's got to be in there somewhere. It must be in there somewhere. And then, you know, pastor's teaching about, you know, how much of the Bible and the Holy Spirit knows more than you do and all this other. I had to concede that he knew that it wasn't in there. And then I had to deal with that. Then I had to deal with that. That it it just wasn't fair. But that wasn't my call to make either. Wasn't my call to make. You know? So it was like, I'm not going to doubt God's word that he's sovereign and he's going to work out what he needs to work out for me. Fiery dart, situations, circumstances, car breaking down. I leave here. We've got a great service. I'm like, yes, it's great. We had a good time. I hit the pothole. Oil pan burst. And oil spills out all over the Allegheny Avenue. Wow. I was like, wow. And there are just times that's all you can say. You go, wow. (laughs) Before you say anything else. You know, you know, pastors told us a lot of times we just need to be quiet. We do. We just really sometimes just need to be quiet because if we're not, the wrong thing is going to come out. So sometimes I just go, wow. (laughs) And the the guy across the street, he had a church. He was a minister. And he's like, I think it's transmission fluid. I went, wow. (laughs) Because, you know, all at that point, all I see are dollar signs. You know, all I see is dollar signs. I've retired, you know, and I'm looking, you know, for for a new career and everything. And, and I'm like, wow. You know, so we get the car towed and everything. And they kept the car a week, too. So I'm without my car for a week. And I go, well, at least I don't have to work. That's it. You know, you got to find it. You got to find it. I went, I don't have to work. I don't have to worry about being on the bus. I don't have to worry about renting a car. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Wow. (laughs) You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Joseph, and I'll get to this, you know, because we all think that God needed Joseph to be um, sold into slavery for, for his word to come about. No, no. Those things don't have to happen. They just do. Things happen. They're fiery darts. They just happen. And we need to get over the fact that as blessed people, nothing should happen to us. Find it in the Word, and like I said, I'll stand in the gap for you. I'll stand strong with you. First Timothy from We says, be constantly engaging in the contest of faith, which contest is marked by its beauty of technique. Take possession of the eternal life into a participation of which you were called and concerning which you gave testimony to your agreement with the good profession you made in the presence of many witnesses. Be constantly engaging in the contest of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And he says constantly fight the good fight of faith. You know, we can't all of a sudden get tired. We have to constantly and continuously fight the good fight of faith. 2 Corinthians 10:3 says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war after the flesh. It's a war. It's a war. Even though we win there's still a war going on. And I think, you know, we're thinking of it in the in the natural. You know, when when the war is over, you're not fighting anymore. Actually, that's not true. There are always all kinds of little skirmishes that pop up, you know, and things like that. 
So it's almost, you know, to, in order to keep the peace, you got to be fighting sometimes. You know, it's the most amazing thing. It's the same thing for us. In order to keep our peace, we need to fight for it. We need to fight it out because he is coming against you to try to make you doubt what God has promised and what God has said. It says in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God in the pulling down of strongholds. We, we sang that song about strongholds coming down. Strongholds can be anything. You know, people think of strongholds as addictions of whatever. Strongholds can be anything. Anything that is going to take you away or, or make you your own king or take you away from what God has called you to do, those are strongholds. I used to get into it about strongholds, television for people being a stronghold. And it can be. Music can be. Anything can be. It doesn't necessarily have to be, quote, unquote, an addiction like alcohol and drugs and, you know, stuff that's kind of what you would say bad. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to get a hold to our thoughts. We really do. Because like I said on Sunday, they'll take you down a rabbit hole and you'll be like, how in the world did I get here? You have more confrontations in your mind than you ever have in your life. Because you go, you go, okay, I've got a meeting tomorrow with so-and-so. If they say this, I'm going to say that. If they do this, I'm going to do that. Okay, if it goes down this line, I need, you know. And you get there and they go, we want to give you a raise. You're going to spend all of that energy. And here it is, they want to give you a raise. So you go, uh, 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 okay. And you, uh, thank you. And then you leave. That's why we need to get a hold to that. We need to understand and know. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm kind of running long here. Forgive me. But we need to get a hold to our, our thoughts, and we need to cast down our imaginations. So that's how we fight. And never doubt that you win. That's a real big key, is that you cannot doubt that you win. No matter what your circumstances are saying, no matter what your situation, it didn't, it didn't bother me that my oil was all over the ground. It looked like I wasn't winning. It looked like I was losing. But I wasn't losing. I didn't lose. Because I stood there, and as people looked and said, you poor dear, I went, how are you? You know, because if I, I think if anybody else had come up to me and shaken, shaking their head, I'd have probably burst into tears. But I was like, no, we're not going to go down that route. We're not going to go down that route. We're going to get our car fixed. We're going to get back on the road. And like I said, when they kept the car a week, I was like, Lord, I don't have to go anywhere. There's nothing out there I need. There's a Whole Foods down the street. If I need to go to the grocery store, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm okay, because I'm telling you, as hard as the car hit into that hole, it jarred my teeth. I mean, it hit down in that, car, in that hole and just, oh, my goodness. Because, there were, you know, my pocketbook flew around the car and some other stuff happened and some things fell, and, you know, because it hit pretty hard. But I was okay. I was okay. So it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to go, I'm going to stay here, Lord, and not be led by my emotions. Because your emotions can get you into trouble. Like I said, never doubt that you win. In uh, Abraham, in Romans 4, 19 through 25, and not be, being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Those two verses are the meat of that. He didn't doubt, even though his body was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And he had, you know, he had been hearing about this promise a long time. He didn't doubt that he was going to win and have the son of the promise. Joseph 
all of that, and we won't we won't go through that. But in Genesis 37 and 39 and 40 and 41 is the example of Joseph. Joseph never doubted that he was going to do what God said he was going to do in those visions that God gave him. He never doubted that they were going to bow down to him. He never doubted it. Even when it looked its bleakest, when he was in the prison, you know, and he had done the visions for the baker, you know. You know, he stayed in there two additional years after that. He was there two additional years after that, before the baker remembered. He never doubted. He held his course. He held his course. Jesus in Luke 8. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And then he went to sleep in the boat. For him it was done. For him it was done. We should be able to sleep in the boat. If God says, I am going to protect you, I am going to provide for you, I am going to give you eternal life, the riches of the land, the cattle on a thousand hills. You need to go to sleep at night and stop worrying where that cattle is going to come from. If he said he was going to give you a thousand, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Ms. Gladys once said, can you, can you kill a few for me? You need meat. You need money. Kill up a few calves. But we need to not doubt. Like Jesus, when he got in the boat, he said, we're going to the other side. And he laid down. He laid down. Hold on to what God is saying. If God is saying you're going to the other side, then don't worry about the wind and the rain and the snow and the ice. Go to the other side where God has said that's where you're going to be. Paul, in Acts 9 I, I was talking to Pastor about this uh, this account because I really needed wanted to get this together because the key to this is is when we get to 21. But in Acts 9, verse 15, he says, But the Lord said to him, this is the, God is talking to Ananias at this point. Paul has been killing up some folk. He's had the Damascus experience. And he says, he says to Ananias, now it happened, oops, sorry, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So God is going to show Paul what he must suffer for his name's sake. But the promise is that he is a vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul holds on to that promise. He then comes in Acts 21.10, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord. We ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. Believers will come to you to try to convince you that they've heard from God for you against what you heard from God for you. And this guy had props. You know, and they'll pull out stuff to try to convince you. And again, it's the enemy. The enemy's going to use anybody and anything. Get that through your head. 
He will use anybody in anything. And you need to understand, know your opponent, know how he operates, and how he will come against you to try to take you out of the fight. The fight that you've won. As long as you understand that you've won the fight, he can't take you out. He can't take you out. Or as they say, know who you are. If Adam and Eve had known who they were, really known who they were, he wouldn't have been able to take them out. So it's important that you know who you are. In Christ. So that you don't get taken out. So we need to fight. It's like the fight is fixed, but. But there are some things that we too have to do. In order to demonstrate that we are the winners, we have to fight the good fight of faith. By understanding why we were created, knowing we still have an opponent. And three, never doubting that we win no matter what our circumstances or situations try to tell us, no matter what your checkbook says, no matter what your, 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 your savings account says, no matter what your husband says, no matter what your wife says, no matter what your mother says, no matter what anyone says, we win. We are the winners in this thing, but we still have to fight. So continue the good fight of faith, smile in the midst of the battle, and then sing a little something while you're at it. Amen? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are not a God that keeps secrets from us, that you reveal to us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we thank you for it. And, Father, we will go out understanding that we do not war against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities. We war, oh, Father God, against spirits in high places. And we thank you that you have given us the tools. You've given us the weapons of our warfare. And our weapons are mighty in battle, Lord. And we acknowledge that you are Lord, you are King, and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to show us and to be an example of how we are to war in this world, and that we too are victorious. As he is, so are we. He is a conqueror, so are we. He has overcome so have we. And we thank you and give you all the praise and all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.